Hello and welcome to the Road to the Garden podcast. It is a uh, not as cold as you'd think late Wednesday night here in December. It was the first night of Big East play, technically our first Big East versus Big East game, but the leading headline tonight, it's going to be about the Huskies. And it might be about the Huskies for a while. Got George Hathaway joining me here, our UConn writer, to talk about UConn and their win over Florida in dominant fashion. How you doing, George? I'm doing great, Matt. Pleasure to be here. And I'm even more excited that UConn are now 10-0 uh, for the first time since 2011. Uh, and UConn fans know what happened that year. They won the national championship, and hopefully history repeats itself. UConn also the first team to go 10-0 and to start off the season since Syracuse did it in 2009-2010 season. So a lot of firsts for this UConn team, but honestly – my first initial reaction just from watching this game is just this team is complete and they're amazing. And you and I talked about a little bit, you know, in the preview of the season for UConn is if they can get past the first round, that's a great season for them. Now looking at it, it's like this team can make a deep run in March, early April. And just watching this team is it's they're deep. You have everybody who can do everything. And it doesn't matter if it's the one through the five, if it's the guys coming off the bench, everybody's doing their part. And Danny Hurley, I think, could be either Big East coach of the year. I mean, we can even say that he's national um, coach of the year as well. Yeah, it's he's has to be in that conversation. You look at some of these stats here, you get five points from Tristan Newton tonight. Nothing from Naheem Aline, nothing from Hassan Diara on the road against a Florida team that's supposed to be pretty good this year and has given other Big East teams a hard time, and it, it wasn't close. And it never even felt like – it didn't feel like UConn was trying to beat Florida. It just kind of happened. It really did. And this was a, an atmosphere where UConn was playing where the crowd was very lively. I mean, they had the Phil Knight Invitational that was very big against some good teams, but that was in a neutral site. Here they are on the road against a good Florida team, like you mentioned. But uh, to me, this is the all about the UConn big men dominating this game from start to finish. You had Sonogo with 17 points, seven rebounds. And you have Donovan Klingon with 16 points, eight rebounds. So this team, I mean, it doesn't matter who's out there playing the five. Uh, they're going to dominate on the glass. Um, and then, of course, post-scoring as well. And the Connecticut native, I think everybody's one of the favorite players on this UConn team, you know, repping uh, Connecticut here. And the seven, he's 7-2, and he's absolutely dominant throughout. And that's what I really like about him is he can do a little bit of everything. His defense is spectacular. He had a few blocks tonight as well. So he can just really do it all. Yeah. It's, how many Big East teams would Donovan Klingon start for? I think – more than half all of them yeah more than half and that's i mean that's not a diss to anybody either the big east mm-hmm. is uh, arguably the best centers in the country as a conference yes. as a whole and it's like it's we, we can talk about oh how is adamas nogo going to look versus brian cockburn or how is adamas nogo going to look against joel soriano with how soriano has played this year right and it's like it, all right well Klingon might end up being even better like it's it's ridiculous <laughs> it's, it's it's like old school basketball again yeah. It's like uh, Hakeem going up against Shaq or something like that. It's like the matchups we're going to see is just dominant basketball from the big men down low. Yeah. Klingon and Snogo combined for 33 points tonight. 
They made 16 shots on 22 attempts, if I'm doing that math correctly yes. there. Snuggo did miss his one his one three-point attempt. So yes, we'll have to we'll have to dock some points for his <laughs> performance there. But I like him stepping out of his comfort zone. He's able to shoot the ball from deep. I and mean, we've seen him do it a few times this season already. And I mentioned uh in the previews that I would like to see him explore shooting from outside because that'll just make him more of a threat. You know, sometimes you would let those big men kind of have those threes, but if you have somebody who can shoot them, now you got to play defense on them at the top of the key, but then Sonoga would just take you one dribble and drive to the lane. So that's what's going to, that's what's so scary about him is that you don't know what kind of night he's going to have. If it's going to be a good three point shooting night where by that, I mean like maybe he makes a few and that's not like he's going to go crazy from beyond the arc. But I think if you have somebody like that, that can be a dual threat on the offensive side, you just defensively, you just don't know what to do. Yeah, that's kind of a cheat code there. It is. Then you add the perimeter shooting has been good this year. And I think mm-hmm. that was kind of something that previous UConn teams struggled with having depth yes. there. UConn right now has four three-point shooters who have at least 30 attempts this season who are shooting better than 37.5%. So it's Caravan is the worst of the bunch at 37.5%. Jordan Hawkins, 39%. Tristan Newton, 39.4%. Joey Calcaterra is at 58.1%, which he's a guy too. Like I think he got glossed over as much as anybody in the transfer process. Yes. He's brought in as a role player, a guy who's going to be able to come off the bench or start, who's experienced, who can shoot the three ball. That's all you're asking of him. And he was good at it. He's a veteran. Like, you know what you're getting out of him. And he fit the rest of what they were doing. And he flew under the radar. And I don't understand why. I think that was Danny Hurley's big uh, kind of idea this offseason was to get some good transfers that are able to shoot the ball. Uh, UConn last year struggled shooting from three. So how can they improve and do better? We'll get some guys from the transfer portal that can shoot the ball really well. And it's been working out for them. They've learned from last year's mistakes, how they can kind of work on some things. And now here they are undefeated 10 and 0 and winning all 10 of their games by double digits. And I don't expect that to change on Saturday. They get LIU at home. Yes. Ken Palm currently gives them a 99.96% chance of victory. Their projected final score is 89 to 52. I, I think that's fair because defensively you look at UConn, they're active with their hands. Mm-hmm. Everybody's moving their feet, you know, moving side to side, and they're doing a great job defensively. Transition defense, I've, I've tweeted about this before, it is spectacular. Mm-hmm. You don't have anybody kind of slacking on defense, no free baskets um, off of turnovers. And they had nine steals tonight and seven blocks as well. So this team uh, is able to play great defense, and I think that's one of their strengths is how well they play defensively against these non-conference teams. And it's been helping them out. Yeah, and that's the offense is what's going to draw the attention. And you look right. at the the raw total; they haven't scored less than seventy one points in the game this year. And most of these games are above eighty points, or at least at seventy five points, like they got tonight against Florida. Mm-hmm. The defense is ranked even higher in efficiency right now. It's fourth on Ken Palm. Uh, I think what stands out with that too. Uh, it's ninth in effective field goal percentage allowed, fifth in three-point field goal percentage allowed, not in three-point shooting, but the ratio of three-point shots. 
teams do not shoot the three against UConn. They're running them off free th- off the three-point line. Mm-hmm. And they're eighth in assists for field goals made on defense. So they're you can't pa- like it's they're not letting people pass into shots. They're running teams off the three-point line. And it's like, okay, well, you only only the only thing you have left after that is one-on-ones in the post with Sonogo or Klingons. Have fun. Oh, yeah. Good luck. Best of luck for you. But I think it's just like the saying goes is defense wins championships. And if this team can only continue what they've been doing defensively, the Huskies have a real shot at the national championship this season, along with how well they've been shooting the ball. I think it's just a complete team. You look at everything. It's like you can't ask for a more perfect basketball team when it, if you're a coach and Danny Hurley. I mean, of course, he knows more than I do about basketball and coaching, but just just looking at it is I know he's definitely happy about a lot of what this Huskies team is doing. Yeah, and it's they really haven't done much of anything wrong so far this they season. Haven't. Yeah, not not only are they winning, they're winning comfortably and to the point where you're not worried. Like it's just it's right. an, it never feels close when they play. It's it was kind of close for stretches against Oklahoma State. I think it got a little bit closer at the end than people thought. I know the the line on that one that I got was I think nine and a half, and they ended up winning by ten. Yes. So that, that was the closest me. game this season was 10. Yeah. That's remarkable when you play the quality of opponents that, uh, that UConn has. That's uh, also why they're up to number two right now on Ken Palm. And that's, I mean, they're going to stay that way for a while. It's them right behind Houston. And I'm not going to be shocked if they jump Houston at some point if they keep playing like this. Yeah. And, and what I really like about UConn right now is you look at their free throws tonight against Florida, they only shot nine free throws. And that that just goes to show that, like, this team can do it all. But And they went eight for nine from the charity stripe as well. So they're efficient f- for their free throws. And you have to always wonder, you know, play devil's advocate here, is wonder if what happens when UConn is in a close game now? Mm-hmm. How are they going to close it down the stretch? And it's going to come down to free throws, especially when it comes to conference play which only is is happening in a few days uh, next week. So, I mean, if they can shoot from the free throw line very well, I think that they should have no problem winning close games, but they haven't experienced that yet. So we just, we don't know. It's all that uncertainty. Yeah. And it's, I mean, if that's the only criticism you have is that the team has played so well that you don't know how they're going to react when things get like that. We're really we're really picking at stuff at that point. Yes. Do you think it's interesting that a team that has big men that play as well as UConn does does not get to the line that much? But I think, I think the secret to it comes in their their assist ratio as well, which is 12th in the country. Yes. They pass into easy looks. And when you got guys who can shoot like they do, it spaces the floor like crazy, and that allows the cuts. And you kind of have to always be worried about a double team on whoever's in the post. And you put all that together, and it's just – you create space like it's not and that's it's it's as much on Danny Hurley the strategist as it is on Danny Hurley the talent evaluator and recruiter here right. it makes your job a lot easier as a coach when you've got five guys out there no matter what five you put who are going to draw all kinds of defense yeah and that, and that's the scary thing is you, you you can't double team one particular guy in this UConn team because that means that's going to leave somebody else who can play at a high level basketball wide open. And you just can't, you can't afford those easy baskets. So you're going to have to deal with the one-on-ones with Sonogu in the post because he might, you know, kick it out to Jackson 
for mm-hmm. a corner three or something like that. And you just can't give up a nice open look like that. So it, it's going to be tough for defenses going forward, watching this 10 and 0 UConn team. I bet everybody's kind of scratching their heads. Like how can we stop them right now, or at least even slow them down and force them to create some turnovers. I believe they had 15 turnovers tonight, but yet they still got the win. Yeah. And that's, that's the crazy thing is it's like it in some ways it still feels like we haven't gotten this team's best game. No, I, I really don't think so. Uh, no matter, you know, how many points they win by, I believe the margin of victory is like 23 points, you know, uh, for every win that UConn has this year uh, averaging. But I think that no, there is no perfect game for this UConn team. They still have their mistakes. Everybody has their mistakes, yeah. but it's just that they can kind of put those mistakes under the, under the rug and are able to uh, outshine by doing different types of uh, doing different things. And that's, what's just uh, so amazing about UConn right now is that they can do everything. Yeah. That's, you said it. It's, it's really remarkable what this team is doing. Um, Obviously we got, we got conference play coming up soon. So we are going to find out in a hurry. Now I say conference play coming up soon, technically conference play, for the whole Big East, started tonight. We're going to talk about this first. A word from our sponsor. Here. Let me let me read the ad. We've uh, we've teamed up with SeatGeek this season to get you the best deals for tickets to your favorite teams. SeatGeek takes the confusion out of buying tickets, and they're here to give you some great deals. Get in on the fun and head over to SeatGeek. Download their app and use code NCAA Hoops Digest for twenty dollars off your first purchase. Use that and go see a UConn game this year. Go do oh it. yes. And they have their first, uh, or they have uh, their last non-conference home game uh, this Saturday. Yeah, go ahead and use that and get over there. Um, you won't have to use that to go to a Georgetown game; those are free, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> Not a great showing there, but yeah. let's let's talk about St. John's and DePaul. This was the the first game of the Big East. It's a very injured DePaul team coming in, and I. I ended up going to this game. I'm a New Yorker here, so I want to get over and see this action. I ended up having a travel nightmare trying to get there and get to Jamaica, Queens, which is just uh, middle of nowhere. And that's out there in Queens. For anybody who knows New York, you'll know them. It's you, you have to get like get a bus. You have to take a subway to a bus to get to that campus. And by the time I got there into the arena, I got my pass and all that, just like two minutes into the game. And at that point, the game was almost over. St. John's <laughs> opened this one with a 10-0 and basically for the rest of the game held it at two points it was never closer than two possessions after it never got down to one possession after the opening minutes and it only got down to two possessions at a couple points in the first half the second half was almost double digits the whole way it's does this make you rethink well for i don't i don't remember what you thought about st john's in the preseason but does this make you rethink what we saw from them yeah i think so this is a nine and one uh, St. John's team and you know they're right behind UConn for one of the top teams in the Big East and number I one think, in the standings in the Big East at this exact yes. moment <laughs> yeah and I think exactly because they got the Big East win tonight but yeah. I think this team is very good and they can compete against some really good teams and then we saw them in conference play today for the first time and they fully dominated like you said from beginning to end and there wasn't a really a dull moment uh, for St. John's and that's what I think, you know, for covering UConn, it's scary. You know, looking at it from the Huskies' perspective, it's like, okay, we got to play St. John's twice this year. Probably going to be one of the tougher games on the schedule for UConn. But this is also another team that can really do it all. 
from mm-hmm. start to finish. And you have everybody kind of just playing their role, doing their part. And you even have the guys off the bench contributing. And just like UConn, very complete team. Yeah. And I think the most notable thing about St. John's is the way they're able to score and transition. They force the turnovers. They get out. You talked about turnover issues for UConn. I think whenever St. John's and UConn play, it's going to be a really interesting styles matchup yeah. this year because if you want to play big men off the court, if you want to make life tough for them, play fast and get them winded. Don't let them get involved and don't like interrupt the the entry passes that they're going to be getting. St. John's is going to be all over that, and they don't care if they give up easy baskets every once in a while. It's part of what happens with that style of defense, right? So it almost it's almost a, a not caring about some of the stuff UConn does well, which <laughs> might it's a double edged sword. Some days it kills you. Sometimes you pull off the upset with it. Um, the guard play from St. John's I think has improved this year. I think Andre Carbello is who people thought he could be as a sophomore, and mm-hmm. it's it's an interesting group. They, they've only had had one real test against Iowa State, and they did not pass it. They had a rough night. It's I can't really dismiss it, but also. One rough night happens to basically every team except UConn at this point. <laughs> so one, one rough night doesn't mean much. Look at this St. John's schedule. They play at Villanova in a few weeks. That's their first conference game. I think that is going to be a very telling game about where those two teams stand. Plus, the last time they played each other was when Villanova had that huge comeback in the Big East tournament last year, that yes. crazy, crazy game. So I think there's going to be a little bit of bad blood and uh, should be make yeah, I, I what I really like St. John's. I think um, Joel Soriano with a double double, seventeen points, fourteen rebounds. Another big man dominating in the Big East that we you we talked about it earlier in the show. It's that that's what kind of the identity of Big East basketball is this year. It's those centers, those big forwards that are going to be able to dominate you um, mm-hmm. from start to finish. And they're going to be a problem for everybody. And now they're going to have to play each other coming up in a few weeks. So it's just going to be even a bigger battle of the big men in the Big East. Yeah. Right, let me tell you, if you're, uh, I don't know, one of the guys that works behind the scenes in any of these arenas, anytime I see Joel Soriano coming to town, I'm getting a little bit scared. And I'm making sure we got a second and a third basket ready in case he tears the rim off. one of Because <laughs> he had a couple dunks tonight where he was just slamming it on guys. I don't want to give all the love to St. John's here because um, DePaul had a couple of players, I think, that had a good game. Mm-hmm. Deshaun Nelson also responded to a couple of those Soriano dunks with dunks of his own that were very loud. And that was exciting. Javon Johnson had a nice mid-range game. It's just it's a DePaul team that's down its top two centers. They're both yeah. injured. Agenda's going to be out for a while. Yorin A couldn't play tonight. And Caleb Murphy, who's supposed to be part of a deep backcourt for them, still has not played. And I think he's getting closer, but he's not in there yet. And you need that depth. DePaul wants to play fast and they have no depth and no size right now. And that's a really combination. No, certainly. And that's, I think it's going to show for a team. How can you kind of push through and have that adversity when you are down some of your best players? Mm -hmm. Uh, And I think that's important, especially now coming into conference play. If you're still battling injuries, you're going to have to have guys step up. I mean, Zion Cruz with 22 minutes off the bench for DePaul and 14 points. And I think it's just like you have to have some of those guys step up for you because if you're going to have to win games in conference now and you're going to have to do that even without your best players, 
you're going to have to have everybody step up. It's kind of like the Patriots motto, do your job. Yeah. You're just going to have to go out there and literally do your job. And doesn't matter if, you know, you're, you're out with your best players because you can't really make those excuses now coming into this type of uh, Big East Conference season. No, not when we're a month into this thing. Mm-hmm. It's, even if you're injured, you got to figure it out. And Yes. I think what was notable, even just being there and watching DePaul, was like communication was not there on defense. Guys just weren't on the same page. I think it was especially clear with like the guard room, the guards, they just were having issues figuring out who's supposed to be on who. And they also had a hard time staying in front of guys, which the entire, like the ethos of St. John's under Mike Anderson, their whole thing is we want to play fast to confuse you and Mm -hmm. keep you on your toes. And then we're going to try to drive past you and get to the basket, finish through contact, all that stuff. So it's like, all right, that's they do that well so of course it's going to be tougher for DePaul because that's this is what that team does but I don't think they responded to it very well and I think you saw issues in the second half we'll see what happens when these two teams played again Mm -hmm. Uh, the David Jones Bowl obviously here too I don't know if you saw this but apparently David Jones tried to go up and shake the hands of the DePaul players before the game and was uh rebuffed it was not happening so a little bit of okay and that's what I love about conference play is things you just things are it means more and things get chippy and you let your emotions get the best of you. But I think that's what just makes it so great. And the Big East is just that's why everybody loves the Big East. And that's why I'm so happy they're doing they're, they have all the success that they're having this year, because now it's like, OK, this is the old Big East. It's back. Physical. Yeah, I love it. I think I, I haven't researched this. And I'm honestly not even sure how. But I feel reasonably confident in saying that David Jones is probably the first ever intra-conference Big East transfer to play against his former team. So that was a little bit of history that got me. Because yes. there were Akuka Cook, Corey Floyd Jr., and David Jones for the first intra-conference Big East transfers ever. Right. Those all happened this year. And David Jones, the first one of the bunch to go against his old team. If there's a guy who transferred twice and then ended up somewhere then that could have beaten this, but I don't. I think I, you are right. Yeah. Because, because uh, yeah, Corey Floyd hasn't played UConn, UConn yet, and that, that's happening in uh, about Early a month January. from now. Yep. Yeah. So, and we'll get the Akuka Cook versus UConn one coming up shortly here too at the start yes. of conference play. Yeah, so I think it just adds so much more meaning. You know, especially for these guys who are going up against their former teams, like, okay, I got to prove now to them. And it's going to mean something more. And I think, especially for the opposing, you know, the team that you left, it's like, okay, you left us, you know, you're not our teammate. You're not a brother anymore. We're going to be attacking you hard. So it's just, it's that type of mentality now in the Big East. It's just making it so much more interesting this year. One of my favorite years watching it. Yeah, it's going to be an entertaining one. For sure. Uh, one last stat, because you mentioned Soriano in there. He is the leader in the NCAA in double-doubles. He has eight and ten games this year. It's, wow. Yeah, it's remarkable what he's doing. And part of that, I, mean, I, think, I think he's the perfect big for what Mike Anderson wants to do. Mm-hmm. It's a demanding thing to play center in that because you are you have to be at the basket at both ends of the floor, and you're basically just sprinting back and forth <laughs> the whole time to be in that position. Yes. And then you have to play basketball after you right. do all those sprints. <laughs> he's doing it well. I mean, that's it's he's in much better shape than he was last year. His conditioning's up. So big. I mean, he's he's taken a huge leap this year. He's now he's fun to watch. 
Yeah, and you love to see those improvements from guys in the offseason, especially with, you know, St. John's. They need somebody like Soriano to be their guy this year. Mm-hmm. I think last year was Julian Champagne. He was he was their guy, but now it's it's uh, Soriano. So right. I, I think I having, yeah. Yeah, I think having somebody like him who is able to be well conditioned, play basketball at a high level like he's been doing all season long, you, you have that complete player in him that you you don't have to ask him to go do things. He'll be just out there doing it already. And that's a great player mentality to have. Yeah. And I think you also got David Jones as that guy too for St. Right. John's and the guards. I mean, obviously Posh and Curbelo, Adewusu is good. Montez Mathis got into double figures tonight. He's been good for them. And he was, he looked like he was hurt at one point. I'm not sure what his status is. He kind of rolled his ankle or something. And mm-hmm. there was, there was a, a sequence in this game that I was uh, sitting there at Kevin Connolly, who writes for fan side to cover this team. We're laughing about this. Uh, There's just a sequence with a whole bunch of loose balls and missed shots. And it was just, it was peak. Like if I told you, like, what is like, if I asked you, what does St. John's DePaul basketball look like? Okay. Karnaseka arena. It's going to be just fast paced and a mess and balls <laughs> going all over the floor. And that's when Montez Mathis got hurt, but it was killing me. Yeah. I think that's, everybody puts their bodies out there especially in conference play it's all right you know now it's different i'm gonna go die for loose balls now i'm gonna you know scratch up my knees a little bit on the hardwood uh, you know take an elbow here and there but that's what you love about these players especially this time of year in conference plays it's starting up it's that they're just not afraid to put their heart out there on the floor and do what they have to do for their team to get the win that's what makes the biggie special right there um that, those are the two big stories tonight. I'll just go around the uh, around the rest of the scores tonight in the conference. Uh, you had Seton Hall and Georgetown both kind of eking out wins. Georgetown's win came down to the end, and they ended up holding off Siena to get that win. It was back and forth for most of it. They had a run late in the game and held on from there. Brandon Murray had 20 points. Primo Spears had 18. Jay Heath had 16. Those are your leading scorers for Georgetown in that one. And Kudis Wahab had a double-double, 10 10 points, 12 boards. Although if you follow any of the Georgetown accounts, they'll tell you not great on the defensive end. Rough night for him there. Seton Hall played Division II Lincoln, Pennsylvania, and it was a five-point game at the half. Seton Hall pulled away. They ended up winning this one 82-55. to But that doesn't tell you how close this one was for <laughs> long, long stretches of it. Um, Lincoln led for almost five minutes, too. I'll take that as a win for Lincoln. Yeah, that is a moral victory. I'm not even sure how Ken Palm does it against these these Division II teams either. But Casey Indefo was the leading scorer there. He had 17 points. Tyrese Samuel, Alamir Dawes each had 16. Jaquan Sanders had 11. He hit three three three-pointers. And then uh, Tay Davis got into double figures there with 10 as well. So those are the leading scorers from Seton Hall. I do believe Seton Hall does not have a 20-point performance from anybody this year still. So still looking for a guy in the offense. And then two more, I think, slightly more comfortable victories. Villanova beats Penn at home at 70-59. to Cam Whitmore, 21 points. He looked like the guy tonight. He had 12 from Caleb Daniels and Eric Dixon, 10 from Brandon Slater. So another much-needed win there for Villanova against a tough Penn team. And the Providence Friars destroyed Manhattan by 99-59, to 40-point victory. Bryce Hopkins, 22 points and 11 boards. Ed Croswell, 15 points. And then Alan Breed, Clifton Moore, and Devin Carter, all with 12 points in that one. So that's kind of going around around the league. 
we can we can wrap up here. But before we do, is there anything on any of those teams that stands out to you or changes how you thought coming into the season? Yeah, I think for me, I'm going to have to go with Georgetown, a team that has been struggling a lot this year, but they're able to kind of pull it off in the end. Um, that's what I kind of like to see from a team who hasn't, you know, been doing well, but yet, you know, in close games like that, it shows true resilience from the Hoyas. And there's so much speculation about this team and what, you know, what's next and everything like that. But I think for Georgetown to come off with a win against Siena, who has had some success against some Big East teams already this season, I think that for them, they should look at them like, okay, you know, we're going to go now into our next few games, uh, kind of just uh, regroup, figure some things out, because Georgetown will probably struggle in conference play if they just don't figure it out. And they can't have another season like last year. You, you can't get any worse. No. And the way things are right now, it's Georgetown's looking like it's headed that way. Mm-hmm. So just it's tough to play a close game against Siena. Like you said, like you grind it out, you tough it out. That's, yes. That's big. Um yeah, it's. Did you see the fans at that game? No, I did not. Well, uh, this was the free game, and oh. there was nobody there. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, it is it is finals week for college students, but I mean, it was still it was free for DC residents. Oh, I mean, anybody could show up. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have no excuse there for DC residents. I don't know what's going on there. I mean. Long day at work. I get to go to a free college basketball game. Yeah, sign me up. I'll be there. Um, but yikes. Um, yeah, if, you, if you went back about 20, 30 years here and you have 40 years and said, this is where Georgetown's going to be, I think it would be a lot of shock. So, yes, I don't think people would believe you. No, no. That's what the Georgetown program is. We'll see. I don't even know where to go with that. That's, that's, yeah. We've said <laughs> there's, there's so much to say about Georgetown, and yet it feels like it's all already been said. I know. It's, it's, yeah. If we have like another few hours, we I think we could be able to talk about it. Yeah, we might have to do a Georgetown roundtable one of these episodes, and we're, yes. we're just gonna we're gonna settle the issue and then maybe not talk about it for the rest of the year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Just leave it all out there. It's, we they won't talk about Georgetown until they win a Big East game. After that point, yes. Uh, let's hope that happens for Patrick Ewing's sake and Georgetown's sake. Yeah. All right. So this is this is going to do it for us on this one. Thanks for coming on, George. Uh, we're going to have something for you on Sunday. There's a lot of Big East games on Saturday, a lot of teams in action. It's finals week, so basically everybody's just playing on Saturday. Lots of good games. Georgetown plays Syracuse. Get the Crosstown shootout with Xavier and Cincinnati. Uh, I know there's a couple other games in there that I'm, I'm forgetting. It's good basketball. So yeah. we're going to have some good stuff. We'll react to that on Sunday, prep you guys for conference play, and get into some real games coming up soon. All right. Thanks, everybody, for watching and or listening. Follow us on uh, Twitter at Road to the Garden. Uh, subscribe on YouTube. If that's where you're watching this. If you're listening to it and you want to see our faces, definitely go and uh, jump over there. And uh, we'll, we will see you on Sunday. Thanks for listening.